Hello, my name is Jackson Barnes. Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is a real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Hey Grace242, two weeks ago we began a new message series called Bumper Sticker Belief and I preached part one of the first message of that new series. And then last week we took a break so that I could come to you from Mequon Nature Preserve. And now this week we are picking back up with part two of the first message of Bumper Sticker Belief. And so to begin today, we're going to have a little fun. I have a game for you to play in your house churches. I'm going to play a few seconds of a love song. And then you have to see if you can name for your house church what love song that is. So let's play. All right, here we go. Number one. That was Baby Love by The Supremes. Number two. That one was Crazy in Love by Queen Bey, <laughs> Beyonce. Number three. That was It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. Number four. Feels like I'm the answer is I Love You Always and Forever by Donna Lewis. Here we go, number five. That was My Love by Paul McCartney and Wings. Number six. That was Queen's Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Number seven. That was Love Song by Sarah Bareilles, number eight. The classic Beatles tune, She Loves You, number nine. Memories. One of the greatest love songs of all time, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, an incredible song. Number 10. That was We Found Love by Rihanna. Number 11. The answer there is Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Number 12. 
Number 12 was Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis. Number 13. That was Love Story by Taylor Swift. I'm glad I only have to play a few seconds of that. Number 14. Now that one I wish I could play more of. That's You've Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. This classic that has remained relevant all these years. Number 15. And that number 15 was that glorious Back to the Future anthem, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. We played these love songs because we're picking up in part two where we're examining the cultural mantra, love is love. In part one of this message, we began to examine the cultural mantra and we began contrasting how humans define love with how God defines love. And today I wanna to continue to tease out that contrast. Last week we started looking at how God defines love, and today I want to look at how humans define love as it's expressed in the phrase, love is love. So just to be clear, I, I'm not trying to define love broadly. I'm trying to define love as it's often expressed in the phrase, love is love. The goal of today is to contrast God's definition of love in 1 John 4 with love as it's expressed in the phrase, love is love. If I look at how love is expressed in the phrase, it appears as if it's open to interpretation. That's the first point. It's almost as if love is this blank and nebulous thing and you can just sort of backfill it with whatever meaning you want. At the same time, there seems to be this consensus that whatever your definition of love, it includes a relational element. So love can be whatever you want it to be with whomever you want it to be. It knows no boundaries. You define what love means in your life. I mentioned her last week, but I think Angelique Kennedy gets at this when she said, love is love means to me that we all should be able to love how we want, and there's nothing wrong with any kind of love. Love is going to save our planet. When people say love is love, there seems to be this agreement that people should be able to love whomever they want in whatever way they want. Secondly, the phrase love is love seems to place a strong emphasis on the romantic and the physical. The word love is largely equated in this instance with physical intimacy. Not only is love open to interpretation, but you get to be the decider of whomever you want to be physically intimate with. Another woman, Nicole, was asked to define what love is love meant to her. And she said, I think love comes in all forms, not just heterosexual. I think that is pretty amazing. What this woman is saying is that physical intimacy should not just be restricted to heterosexual relationships. She is expanding physical intimacy outside of heterosexual relationships. But we know that this goes against God's design for physical intimacy because God has a very good, beautiful, but very specific design for physical intimacy. And that is one biological man and one biological woman in a lifelong covenant of marriage. Jesus summarizes this design in Matthew 19 when he says this, Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. 
They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. When you look at the phrase, love is love and everything that it stands for, I think the focus is largely on self-gratification. The love talked about in love is love is a self-gratifying love, whereas God's love is a self-sacrificing love. Last week we looked at several cringy examples of love. And why are they cringy? Well, first of all, because they go against God's design for physical intimacy in many ways, but secondly, because they seem more interested in self-fulfillment and self-gratification than in esteeming the person whom you are supposedly loving. The Woody Allen example is so cringy because it looks a lot like Woody Allen is taking advantage of a young girl to gratify himself. NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, is so disgusting because it is the taking advantage of minors to gratify oneself. The Tiger King examples look a lot like taking advantage of somebody else just to gratify yourself. Now, I gotta pause here and say, I am not being so presumptuous as to say that anyone who is in a love relationship that is contrary to God's specific design is only doing so because they want to self-gratify. I am not trying to say that anyone who is in a relationship that falls outside of God's design for physical intimacy is only doing it for selfish reasons. But I am saying that self-gratification and self-fulfillment is deeply embedded in the phrase love is love. And I am saying that physical intimacy outside of God's design of one biological man, one biological woman in the lifelong covenant of marriage, I am saying that anything that falls out of that specific design is sinful and displeases God. There's a podcaster slash YouTuber that I like listening to and his name is Dave Rubin. Now Dave Rubin is married to a man. But I pray for Dave because he is a truth seeker. I see in Dave a willingness to go where the truth leads, even if it's into a place that's uncomfortable for him. And I feel like as I listen to him, he is only a few intellectual hurdles away from embracing Jesus as king. I think he's really intrigued with Jesus right now, and he's wrestling with him. And if Dave were to make Jesus the king of his life, that would be just absolutely tremendous. But anyway, Dave had on his podcast, on his show, he had a guest by the name of Ali Stuckey. And Ali Stuckey is another YouTuber podcaster, and she hosts this podcast called The Relatable Podcast. But Ali is an evangelical Christian, and she knows her Bible. So the entire episode, Dave and Ali are disagreeing on many things, but respectfully. It's actually a really pretty picture of how two people can remain friends and show friendship love to one another, uh, but not have to agree on everything. And Dave knows that there's going to be disagreement, and he knows this when he asks Allie about her view on marriage. And as you would hope, Allie gives this marvelous articulation of God's biblical design for marriage, that it's one biological man, one biological woman, in the lifelong covenant of marriage. And Dave begins to challenge Allie on her position. And so I just want to stop here a second and have us watch a clip from that episode where Dave starts challenging Allie on her view on marriage, and then I think Allie responds with a really poignant answer. 
Uh, there is another incredible story of, of someone who uh, became a Christian. He lived life as a gay person. He actually uh, was in prison. Um, and he lived life as a gay person, and he uh, became a Christian, and he lives, as far as I know, he lives a celibate lifestyle. And so he is not married. He is probably never going to be married. He might not ever be attracted to women, but because he is a Christian and Jesus has called us to deny ourselves, whatever our desires are that are sinful, uh, he lives a celibate lifestyle. And so I think- See, that one just strikes me as deeply sad. Like I can get yeah. on, you know, like I really, like, you know, I'm pretty tolerant about this stuff, obviously. Yeah. That one just strikes me as he, he is gay. He, there is this religious piece of him in there that so the answer is then live alone and don't have kids and don't have a family. And yeah, don't have a but that and... is where you start conflating sexuality with identity and romantic relationships with the ultimate fulfillment. And that's not what the Christian believes. We don't see celibacy as this sad, awful, lonely thing. We believe that in Christ, you have full fulfillment, full satisfaction, whether you are attracted to the opposite sex or the same sex. And so I think he would tell you, great person to have on, I'll tell you his name, but uh, I would think he would tell you that he finds full satisfaction satisfaction and full joy in his relationship with Christ. Now that does not mean it's easy. Boy, I really appreciate how Allie challenges Dave on where he is finding his ultimate self-fulfillment and his ultimate identity. She's telling Dave, you don't find your ultimate worth and value and fulfillment in physical intimacy with another human being. No, we only find ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what she's challenging Dave on. When John wrote about love in chapter 4, he's actually writing to a context that's really similar to ours. It's not all that different. If you, if you look at verse 7 of chapter 4, John says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Now, those love words that pop up there in verse 7 come from the Greek root word for love, which is agape. And commentator Charles Dodd defines agape as to esteem or to prefer. The Lexham Theological Wordbook says that agape expresses personal will and affection rather than emotions or feelings. Now John's world was infused with this Greek influence and that led to the emergence of all these mystical religions. And the mystical religions had their usage of the term love but when they talked about love, their word for it was the Greek word eros. And eros largely means physical desires for romance. And so the Greek's word for love, eros, largely dealt with the desire to fulfill oneself through physical gratification. And so when John uses this other word for love, agape, he is using it over and against the Greek's word for love, eros. And here we are today wanting to understand love as God defines it over and against love as the world defines it. Just like in John's day, the world had largely defined love in self-gratifying terms, whereas God has defined love in self-sacrificial terms. Look at how the Bible sense lexicon defines love in 1 John 4, 7. It says, To have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges on another person's behalf. The forfeiture of rights and privileges on another person's behalf. Does that sound like somebody we know? 
somebody who gave up his rights and privileges to the throne in heaven to come to this earth on our behalf as one of us and to sacrifice himself for us. The love of God that John talks about is a different kind of love. It's not self-gratifying, it's self-sacrificing. Look at verses 9 and 10. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God's self-sacrificing love looks like Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. John is saying, you want to know what love is? True love? Look at the cross. Last week we saw that we didn't know what love is until God first loved us. We didn't know what love is because we were enemies, estranged and separated from God. How can you know what love is when you're separated and estranged from love himself, God? But out of his love for us, God sacrificed his son Jesus to show us what love is and to bring us back to him. He brought us from far to near by sacrificing himself and showing us what real love is. So what do we do about this? How can we begin to maybe subvert the phrase love is love for the building of the kingdom of Jesus? Well, the first thing is, in as much as we can, don't prove the labels right. Here's what I mean. When Yerline Rodriguez was asked to define what love is love meant, she said this, she said, It just seems like generation after generation, we have to fight the same oppression. You have elitists, you have bigots, and you have racists. And now I'm guessing that for many people, Christians fall into one of those categories. I would say almost surely for many people, Christians fall into the category of bigot. So the first thing we can do to subvert love is love is to, insofar as it depends on us, don't prove the labels right. Instead, aim to surprise people who probably don't know you that well or who know that you're a Christian but don't know you. Surprise people with your love. Don't prove the labels right. Number two, the second thing we need to do is we need to make a shift in our minds. We need to shift away from viewing love as love folk as enemies. And I know my initial cognitive reaction to love as love folk is a hostile one. And so we need not, we should not view these people as enemies, but instead we should view them as people who don't know what real love is because they don't know God. They are lost. Once we were estranged and enemies of God, and they're still estranged. They, because they don't know God, so they don't know what love is. They don't know the joy of God. They don't know the ultimate fulfillment that you can find in God. And so instead of viewing them as enemies, I think we need to view them as people who have this incredible need, which is God. They need to know who God is. They need that gift of being loved perfectly by God and the gift of the total satisfaction and fulfillment that comes from knowing God. Don't view them as enemies. View them as lost folk who need the joy and the gift and the incredible satisfying experience of knowing God. Number three, Point to Jesus. It is Jesus who sacrificed himself for us. It is he who brought us from far to near. 
So in your conversations and in your relationships that you have with love is love folk or people who endorse love is love, talk about Jesus as often as God provides you a window to do so. I mean, I have several family members who would agree with love is love and who don't know love because they don't know God. So I take every opportunity and every door that the Lord opens for me to talk about Jesus. Now, it doesn't happen as often as I want it to or as often as I would like, but I still am taking those opportunities to point to Him. Lastly, Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. So in the same way, is there a way that you could sacrifice for someone that you know who's a love is love person? Is there someone in your life who believes love is love that you know you could do an act of service for? Is there someone who doesn't know God whom you can bless? Maybe your sacrifice is that you go without your morning coffee for a week and then instead of spending that money on coffee for yourself, you get a gift card and then mail that as a blessing, just as a gift, to someone you know who's a love is love person. We know love because God first loved us. When we were far, He brought us near through the sacrifice of Jesus. And now it's up to us to show the world what real love is, because God is real love. John, in his gospel, says this. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples.